You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Zach's upcoming season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 318. I am your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We've got our resident survivor expert, Stephen Fishback from Token Teens and Survivor Second Chance. He is coming on to talk about the finale from last Wednesday to where we break down everything that happened this season, the good moves, the bad news. Is he as surprised as myself and a lot of others on how that finale played out? Hint. Yes, he is. So we will get to that momentarily. So before we get started, I will say a couple things. Number one, feeling a little bit under the weather. Woke up this morning with a horrible, horribly scratchy red throat. And I don't know where it came from. I think it's just the change in weather out here. That's usually how it starts. At least for me, this is how I always get sick. Starts with a sore throat and then turns into a runny nose the next day. So my guess is today I'm going to be blowing my nose and going through one or two boxes of Kleenex. I've uh, been sucking on some hauls all day. It has gotten better. Throat doesn't feel as red right now as it did this morning, but I can feel it starting to move into the congestion area and move into my nose. So going to have to deal with that. And um, the other thing is your Reality Steve Daily Roundup is up on your podcast feed for the Reality Steve podcast feed, so check that out. Today we talk a little bit about... A little bit more about Chris Harrison and a couple things that we haven't talked about. If you didn't see it yesterday, Rachel Lindsay on her Higher Learning podcast with co-host Van Lathan went over the fact that he asked her, hey, have you been asked to be on Chris's podcast? And if so, and if you haven't, if he did ask you, would you do it? And Rachel's answers were simply no and no, which is the smart thing to do because this is two years old now. She doesn't need to be dragged back into this. She never did anything wrong. All she did was ask one question, and then he gave a five-minute answer and completely went off the rails. She never did anything wrong, yet she took a brunt of the criticism and the hate from Toxic Bachelor Nation, and that was totally unfair. So she she has no reason to ever uh, get back in involved with anything that Chris wants to do because the other thing is, if they had been in touch over these last two years, it would make sense if Chris had you know, privately apologized to her. But she said, look, he hasn't said anything to me privately other than, you know, thanking me when I backed his GMA performance and just said he made his apology. Let's move on. And Chris appreciated that I said that. And he hasn't spoken to me since. So it's been two years. There's no reason for her to help his launch of his podcast, help him get clicks, because that's all it would be. I mean, look, everyone's going to listen to the first episode just to hear what he has to say. But if he ever puts a podcast out there with Rachel Lindsay, you can bet everyone will be listening to that too. And she doesn't need to help him because she went through a lot of shit last time from the toxic Bachelor Nation fan base that absolutely jumped all over her for doing absolutely nothing. So why would she want to involve herself back in that? Not surprised that Chris didn't ask her and not surprised that if he did, she would say no, because that's the right thing to do. Also, Chris, with this podcast is starting a network. This isn't just, oh, Chris Harrison's getting a podcast. 
according to the press release, it is a slate of shows. So my curiosity is now, are there current Bachelor podcasts out there that are going to move over and go under the Chris Harrison umbrella? Is he going to recruit other people who don't have podcasts and try and get them under his umbrella? And he's going to have some Bachelor-related programming, uh, but leave it up to former contestants to do that stuff. Um, you could bet your ass that Lauren Zima is going to have a podcast under this um, slate of shows that was part of the press release for sure. And, you know, she had a podcast before, and I'm sure it'll be – I don't think it'll be centered on The Bachelor. I think, I'm sure it'll be just her talking celebrity news and kind of going over the stuff and maybe having interview guests of people that she has interviewed in the past on TV. I could see her doing – because that's right up her alley of what she would do, and I could see her doing that. But, yeah, I mean, if he's opening up his own podcast network, for sure she's going to have a show in it and also have a hand in executive producer labor for all the other shows on the uh, podcast network is my guess. So um, that's on the Daily Roundup today, along with a couple other things. Talk a little bit about the challenge. Uh, I expose a morning radio show bit that I've done over the years. I've I've, I've told this story over the years, and I've kind of ruined it for people, but I always like telling it because every time I tell it, Obviously, someone is listening to me. Every single podcast I put out, somebody is listening to me for the first time or listening to me and didn't hear me tell this story before because I've probably told it, I don't know, two or three times in the how many years have I been writing blogs and doing podcasts, six years on podcast and 20 years writing blogs? Like, of course, somebody's going to miss something that I say or something that I write. And I've told this morning radio show bit story so many, uh, you know, three or four times maybe. And it's every time I tell it, I get people that are like, oh, no way. I didn't know that. So I tell that on the uh, on the on the daily roundup today if you want to check that out. But don't forget. This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line. It is the Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than be able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you are doing something good for your body. You fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. It's just one scoop. You can put it into your morning coffee. You can put it into your smoothies. I put it into the smoothies because I'm not a coffee drinker, but coffee drinkers swear by this stuff. For the last eight years, they have been the leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. For you, my listeners, they're going to offer you up to 15% off when you go to shop.earthechofoods.com slash realitysteve, they also have the Island Bliss, the Chai Bliss, the Golden Superfood Bliss, along with the Cacao Bliss in the Superfood Blend. Up to 15% off for you listeners. If you don't remember that URL link, all you got to do is go to the episode description wherever you listen to podcasts, click on Earth Echo Foods, brings you right to the landing page, and then you type in a promo code realitysteve during checkout and that'll get you up to 15% off your order. All right, let's get going with podcast number 318. Okay, let's uh, bring him in. You saw him on Survivor Token Genes. You also saw him on Survivor Second Chance. He is our uh, resident Survivor expert. We have him on usually at the end of every season to discuss what happened, and there's plenty to discuss this season. It is Stephen Fishback. Stephen, how are you doing? Hello, hello. Yet another wild, controversial ending to uh, a Survivor season. It seems like that's the norm now. I, it's almost like they're going for it. And yeah, I, I, here, here's here's what I want to start out with. I purposely did not 
read anything you wrote. I didn't read anything you, I didn't listen to anything you said because I wanted to hear it for the first time on my podcast. So you'll be repeating stuff that you said clearly on, on your podcast. However, I've got some thoughts and I just want to, I want to start off this way because this is the way I did it kind of going into on my daily podcast, going into last Wednesday night, what I thought, and then kind right. of my mind process. So I want to, I want you to put yourself back to last Wednesday night Yeah. Uh, before the show started. We had a final five before the show started. Who did you think was go? It ranked one to five who you thought had the best chance to win and the worst chance to win. At that point, so I ninety percent thought Jesse was going to win, and that was based on the game he was playing. Yeah, that was based on the edit he was getting. Um, which you know, some people who are very you know aggressive edit readers thought maybe he was getting too big an edit, and I certainly saw that argument. But I actually thought, given how dominant he was, he was he was getting a very fair, reasonable edit for the game he was playing. So ninety percent Jesse, I would say eight percent Carla. Um, you know, 1% Owen, 1% Cassidy, and 0% Gabler. <laughs> okay. Um, I, my, I didn't do a percentage, but I said going into that episode, uh, if Jesse gets to the final three, he's winning, but I have no idea if he gets there because we just, you know, obviously we don't know. Now, go back to last Wednesday night. When you see Jesse, when you see Carly get eliminated at five, and you see Jesse lose fire and get eliminated at four, when you saw those three, Sitting there before speeches even started, who did you think the? How did you think the top three would play out? I thought Cassidy. I thought they would have to give it to Cassidy. You know, I thought at that point Cassidy had a good story with her being, you know, in the majority alliance on the right side of the vote. You know, she was the one who also was pushing to get rid of the two biggest threats left in the game. She really was pushing to take out Carla at five. And then she won immunity at four. Um, now, of course, ultimately it was Gabler who beat Jesse and Fire at four. So you know, there's a notch on Gabler's belt for that. But I, I thought Cassidy could make the case. Hey, I'm the one who won immunity. I'm the one who put Gabler in there. I chose Gabler as my agent. I'm the decision maker here. So I'm the one who took out Jesse um, in some ways. And. I just figured that she would probably get the most respect from the jury. You know, also, you know, this game, I don't know if this, this season had the most women go out pre-merge ever in Survivor, but it was definitely up there, you know, among among seasons where, you know, just a lot of women went out in, um, before the merge. And I thought maybe some of the jury would respect that as, you know, as, a, as a, the last woman standing that, you know, in, in a season that didn't, you know, have a lot of women go out very early. Yeah, I I was probably all I know was I still uh, going into the final 5, I thought Gabler had the least chance to win. Going into the final 3 as I'm sitting there watching the episode, I had him third. I might yeah. have had Owen a little bit higher. Uh maybe I just read something. I thought he had an underdog story. He did have three individual immunity wins. I know he wasn't part of a lot of the votes and he was but he had an underdog story, and underdogs, yes. you know, sometimes do good. And I was like, okay, he might be able to pull a couple, and you know, I don't know. Um, what we saw a seven-one whitewashing from Gabler, yeah. Yeah. just it. Look, I'm not going to take anything away from anybody who wins this game. That the jury of your peers voted for you to win this game, and I've read 
all their post-show interviews. You guys have, uh, I know, interviewed them on your podcast. So taking what you saw Wednesday and um, your, your feelings Wednesday night when the finale aired, has anything changed after hearing what they've had to say post-show? Has anything changed in your mind where maybe you can understand the Gabler win a little bit more or no? So I didn't. I haven't actually listened to a ton of the post show interviews. I've, listened, I've certainly listened to a few of them, and I listened to more this season than I typically do because it was such an unusual and an interesting vote. And I honestly, I, I have so many thoughts about it, Steve. And I'm still, I'm still, I feel like I'm still processing this win <laughs> a week later. You know, I never go and rewatch seasons, but if I were to rewatch a season, I honestly kind of think this might be among the ones I rewatched because. Not that it was a particularly good season. I'm just so curious to see, you know, Gabler's edit, Gabler's strategy, the stuff that I was missing along the way. And looking back, I do think there was a lot there. You know, even at the time, um, you know, I think almost the Gabler of it all kind of made me discount him more than I should have. You know, the fact that he was this kooky older guy, the fact that he, you know, went out there dressed in his camo and he had his you know, weird scraggly goatee. And, you know, he did things that were quite, you know, unusual. I mean, the very fact that he put palm, he woke up his entire tribe pre-merge to cover them in palm fronds is one of the craziest things I've ever seen on Survivor. I really can't get over it. And at the time it was just presented as this kind of oddball kooky moment for Gabler, but it truly was like when I think of myself in that situation where sleep is so precious on Survivor, you know, you're always exhausted. You're always struggling to get sleep to then be woken up in the middle of the night and like covered in palm fronds, which is not comfortable. It's not like he was covering them in blankets. <laughs> you know, palm fronds are very uncomfortable. They're kind of sharp along the edges. They have these giant stalks that are like very weighty. So, so the fact that he did that was truly like one of the wildest, like, weirdest human things I think I've ever seen on the show. Um, okay, so that's a very long preamble to say, at the same time, I do think he was doing all these little things to sort of position himself as a kind of independent agent. You know, right at the at the merge, he had this big shot he took, right, calling for, Gel- for Ellie to be eliminated. Um, so he had a big mark on his resume, no matter what. And at the time, you know, I was I even joked about it with Rob. I said, you know, if Gabler gets to the finals, like there's no question that he has a resume. Um, because he has done something, you know, big and notable and took a huge swing and which set the tone for the whole merge. And then he did do what he called the Alla Gabler strategy, which was sort of go underwater. And he was a sort of vote for hire. And I think he's in almost every episode, you know, people are going to Gabler and saying, we got to get Gabler on board. What does Gabler think? And Gabler is very mercenary in all these conversations. You know, for the most part, he's always saying, I need to think about what this means for my game. You know, he's not saying, great, I'm in. Great, I'm on your team. You know, sign me up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm my number for you forever. He's always saying, I need to think about what this means for me. And I think there's an argument where, you know, because he has this one very big resume point and because he did present himself throughout the whole season as, you know, a self-interested player, you know, not some just weirdo who's outside of, of the whole strategic calculation of the season. I think with, you know, two other competitors, 
that were, you know, also had somewhat weak resumes, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I think Cassidy had a very strong resume at the end and we should talk about that more. Like, was the jury bitter about Cassidy? Um, I think he gave them enough where they can't, they could say to themselves, I feel okay about this. I feel okay about this choice. Now, Owen, on the other hand, right. Um, Owen's whole story was I'm the guy who's been on the wrong side of everything. You know, I never was on the right side of a vote. I, I always had the, the thing snatched away from me right at the end. I'm the Charlie Brown. And I think Owen might have been too vocal about that, where Owen was telling the story to everybody around him and they believed him. So he created this underdog narrative for himself. And then he never had that redemption moment. You know, if Owen had that big moment right at the end, he could say, I was on the wrong side of every vote. And then suddenly I, I took I took the brass ring right when I needed it. And maybe if, if Owen had beat had beat Jesse in fire, like that could have been it for him. Or if he had won the final immunity, that could have been it for him. But he just never had that last thing he needed to sort of be the capstone to the story. And in some ways, I think he oversold himself as being, you know, as this like, you know, sort of goofy character where he could have. And, and so much of Survivor is how you're portraying your own game to the people who will be on the jury. And I think because Owen was so vocal about, oh, I'm, I'm the guy who's got nothing right, you know, ultimately they believed him. And they're like, okay, you're the guy who's got nothing right. And then and they didn't give him any votes. You know, the Cassidy question is trickier because you can really tell that there was some salt in Carla and Jesse's, you know, perspective. You know, Jesse saying, I mean, Jesse, had, you know, um, and was the jury bitter that Cassidy, who they maybe thought of as a number, who they maybe thought of as not relevant to the strategy, suddenly has this big end game, you know, wins these crucial immunities, eliminates Carla, eliminates Jesse, um, you know, and then they're sitting there at the end when they all felt they deserved to be. Um, you know, was there a little bit of bitterness? I, I think the other thing we need to talk about is – sorry, I'm just like rambling here, Steve. I'm going to tie it up. Um their final tribal performances. And I think like Gabler had an awesome final tribal and Cassidy had maybe not a great one. Well, here's what I thought right after it, it happened and I saw the vote and I saw it play out and I'm like, huh, do you think that there was a part of the jury that said, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we voted the second oldest guy to win? Because it's not like Cassidy and Owen, have this boffo resume where we have to vote for them. It's almost like, hey, they're all kind of even. Let's vote for the old guy. Like, there's a part of me that felt like, yeah. hey, let's just give it to him. He's a good player. He's a nice guy. We all got along. We all seem to like him. Not that Cassidy and Owen weren't liked, but almost like, hey, let's just kind of do something that's only been seen twice in 43 seasons. Uh, someone over yeah. 50 winning this thing. That's what a part of me thought because when you read the post show interviews, especially if you read Cassidy's Cassidy seemed to think that, and this is just her opinion could be wrong, could be right. She seemed to think that their vote was already made up before tribal even started, that they wanted Gabler to win because Jesse was gone. And she was the vote that she was the reason that Jesse was gone because she put Gabler up against him. So they're going to dock her and they never really took Owen seriously as a winner. So, Hey, there's only one person left. Let's vote for Gabler. I don't know if that's true. If they knew going in, if they're being honest when they say it was Gabler's you know, final tribal speeches that won them over, I don't know. But there is a part of me that thinks this tribe sat around and said, well, with these three, I, let's vote for the old guy. Uh, it's never, it's yeah. only the second, second oldest guy. I think it would be a good story, and he's likable. 
Simple as that. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think there's a lot of that that's at, at play. And in general, you know, I think the jury makes up its mind. I mean, before before final tribal. I, I mean, I think it's possible to sway a few votes. Maybe in a, maybe in a handful of instances throughout the years, you can say, okay, like the vote truly was determined at final tribal. But my experience is that the jury really knows. I mean, you know, you're sitting there at Ponderosa. You have nothing to talk about except who is going to win, right? Like that's all people talk about. Okay, there's a new person off. Like what does that mean? Like who do we like now? Who's – you know, so I do think there's an enormous amount of groupthink that comes into it. And I think you're right. In general, people want to give to someone who they feel like is going to be a good winner, like maybe a deserving winner. And, you know, is Cassie being a little bit younger? That probably does hurt her uh, quite a bit in that scenario. You know, Gabler being so committed to veterans, obviously they didn't yet know that he was going to give his whole winnings to veterans charities. But, you know, I think throughout he was very vocal about his commitment to the community and to veterans. And that may have influenced them as well. I mean, I also think there's an element to Gabler that does not threaten. You know, you, the jury is voting for someone who they want to win. They're also to some degree voting for someone that they are that, that their egos can handle winning, you know? Yeah. Um, you don't want – and so I think with Gabler, Gabler was always you – know, he was a part of all these alliances. And in his final tribal, he really made that case of, hey, I'm your friend in all of your alliances. I'm your little buddy. I've been there with you guys along the way. Whereas Cassidy kind of was saying, I've replaced you. I've supplanted you. I'm the new, you know, big person. I made the big moves. I was like a part of all the big votes. And I think, you know – they either like didn't totally buy that part of her, like that she was this driving strategic force, or you know, as as um my uh, co-host and Mr. Reverend all Rob Sisternino was saying, like it threatened their perception of themselves. That you know, all these big players, you know, you've got Carl on the jury, you've got Jesse on the jury, you got Cody on the jury. You know, they're all thinking of themselves as the big player of the season, and here Cassie's coming out saying. You know, G G Gabler on the one hand is saying, like, I'm your friend. You were the big players and I was there too, you know. And Cassie's coming saying, I'm the big player of the season. And I think that maybe threatened their um, self-perceptions to some degree. What did you think of Cassie saying post-show? And, and this is something that I actually agree with Cassidy with and don't agree with the jury. How some of them called her out for not putting herself up against uh, Jesse in the fire-making challenge. To me... I'm sorry. The whole goal, I mean, anybody who gets to the final four, it's the most important immunity of the year. You're not going to give that up. I understand that, man, this would be a huge notch on your belt. You want to take out the big dog, you do it yourself, and no, you sent Gabler to do your dirty work. I mean, come on. Do you honestly expect people to win that final four and say, you know what, I'm taking this immunity off, and I'm going to risk a chance at a million dollars to make fire? I, I agree with Cassidy that she had every right to keep that on and she shouldn't be penalized for keeping it on and not going up against Jesse and fire making. No, that's so silly. I truly think that is so, so silly. Yeah. The idea that the person who wins the final immunity would have to give that up, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, someone on, I think um, Omer from um, last season was commenting online, you know, we ridiculed Eric Reichenbach, you know, in, in Micronesia, for giving up his final immunity to like win the favor of the jury, you know, and, and save an ally. And now we're saying Cassidy should have done that. You know, it's, it's so absurd, absurd, absurd. Um, and it just shows where, you know, the kind of logic of the game has gone where, you know, this, this kooky kind of thing that's been added 
you know, only in the last couple seasons and, you know, now I guess is a, an enduring part of the game is now seen as obligatory. Um, and it's interesting, you know, it's funny because if Chris Underwood had not done that in Survivor 38, given up his immunity to win fire, you know, nobody would be talking about that. But yeah. in some ways, the very fact that he did that puts all this pressure on people downstream to do the same thing. Now, the argument, the counter argument to what Cassidy said is that, hey, we're not saying anybody needs to give up their immunity. You know, we're not saying Jesse would have given up his immunity. We're not saying even maybe Carla should have given up her immunity if she had won it at the final four. But because Cassidy had a somewhat thinner resume, you know, she needed to do something splashy in front of the jury to make her case. And that would have been a splashy thing. Now, I don't really, I don't subscribe to that. I think, you know, Cassidy won immunity. I think Cassidy could even in some ways argue, hey, I'm the person who put Gabler in. Like, I put Gabler in because I thought he had the best chance. You know, I am... I was the decision maker. I was the one pulling the strings, you know, and, and, but yeah, overall, it's just ridiculous that the idea that people should be, you know, giving up immunity when they win it in order to like, you know, put it, put a huge, <laughs> take a huge risk. Especially the biggest immunity of the season, the last one, the one you're all gunning right. for. Like, I just, yeah. I don't think the jury should be penalizing that, like, people. That, that was an excuse, you know? People are going to make the decision they want, and then they're going to justify it after the fact. And I think maybe partially that was a, an, an excuse for people. Like, oh, if Cassidy had done that, then we would have voted for her, but she didn't do it, so we feel good about not voting for her. You know, I doubt they would have voted for Cassidy anyway. You know, I mean, maybe it would have swayed a few people's minds, but my guess is, you know, then it would have been something else that she didn't do that she should have done. I think this season kind of showed how times have changed a little bit with this show because while I am in agreement that the move that Jesse pulled to get Cody off the show was probably one of the, t I think one of the top three moves in the history of the show. However, yeah. he, you know, backstabbed one of his friends for his own personal game, his closest friend in the game back in the day. Right. I don't remember. You'll remember the specifics of this, but I remember I think in all stars, I mean, didn't, didn't Rob basically tell everybody, Hey, save Amber, save Amber. And then he basically went after them and he was punished for it essentially by turning on some of his friends like Lex or something like that. It was I just remember back in the day, if you turned on somebody that you had become friends with on the island, you were not looked at very positively. However, Jesse does this. It's one of the best moves ever. And reading some of these post show interviews, Jesse is in that final three against any two of the remaining four. It seems like he wins probably unanimous unanimously. So Right. It's kind of weird how things have changed because that is a, while it's a great move, he literally backstabbed his closest friend in the game to advance himself. And it was more about the game than a personal relationship with him in the past that seemed to be looked at, they were frowned upon, and now it seemed like he would have been praised for it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that the game has become, you know, so strategic to the point of losing that, some of those like core interpersonal values and human values. And one reason for that could be because of how much shorter the game is now. You know, I think that was sort of an unintended consequence of shortening the game by a third is that now it is the bonds are not as deep. You know, the game is moving fast. I mean, th that's for two reasons. First of all, the very simple reason that there's less time. You have less time together. So by the end, you've just you've just spent less time together. Yeah. The other thing is <clears throat> the time that's been cut is the downtime. So it's all, you know, every day there's an immunity challenge and there's tribal council and there's an award, a reward happening. 
And the downtime is when those human bonds really forge the deepest, right? It's like when you have like nothing to do and you are just suffering together. And that's when it becomes a really human personal game. And I think cutting that and making it a 26 day season has made it much, has, has really, de- and, and, and you know, the fact that they're merging on, you know, what, are they merging on like day 12 or something, you know, and, and you know, instead of a week later, I mean, that's a lot, a lot of difference of time in, in, in Survivor, right? Like to merge yeah. on day 12 versus day 19, you know, you have much deeper bonds, you know, with that extra time going into the merge where now suddenly you are a part of a group that's really been together for a while. You feel yourself part of a cohesive whole. You are a unit and suddenly, you know, betraying those people becomes a much harder thing. And now the kind of game has just become this sort of whack-a-mole of take out whoever the biggest threat is, right? Like whoever's the biggest threat, we're going to vote them out right now. Okay. Now it's another someone else. Okay. I'm going to vote, vote that person out. You know, I mean, Carla turned on James, who was her closest ally, basically, you know, with sort of a snap of a fingers, you know, she probably could have saved James and she decided to take him out because he was the biggest threat at that moment. That probably really hurt Carla's game. You know, there's an argument to be made that taking out Cody early hurt, actually hurt Jesse. I don't personally subscribe to that. I think, you know, it's easy to second guess. Oh, you voted out Cody at, at six and now you're, you know, then you got cut at four. Like, what if you had Cody with you? I think it was still the right move for Jesse because, you know, it was the last chance he had basically to, to vote out Cody. But, um, yeah, it, it, I, it becomes a much less human game because the bonds are less deep. And there's this overall strategy of let's just vote out the biggest threat. And I think that becomes a little bit boring. You know, what's interesting about Survivor and I think that's why we have some of these winners recently who are like, where did that person come from? You know, they're like yeah. the seventh biggest threat of the season. Um, and they just happen to be, you know, the one left at the end, <laughs> you know. And I think that's like what's, what, what makes Survivor such compelling television, I think, is when you have these really deep personal bonds and they're in direct conflict with this really intense strategic game. And I think the fact that those personal bonds have become mitigated or maybe even rendered irrelevant makes it all a lot less moving to watch. Well, I think that brings up my next point in regards to editing and the show aspect versus the personal aspect of it, because we have in recent seasons, Erica, now Gabler, gotten people who have ended up winning that you were like, whoa, they weren't even on my radar. Where where did this come (laughs) from? Yeah, And clearly it came from what was being shown to us on television, which is created by the editing team. Clearly the editing team when this was filmed in April and May of 2022, they knew who won. So they have four months to craft an editing story to show us in the episodes. And at no point, I don't think 99% of the viewing audience ever thought, oh, this is being edited toward a Gabler win. And when he right. wins, it's just like, wait a second, why? And it's only because of what they chose to show us. Like you said, you could make a case that uh, you know Cassidy had a case and Clearly, it seemed like Jesse was getting the winners at it. But yeah. um, do you like the fact that editing is choosing to play this game now of we know there is a certain faction of fans out there that watch for the edit. So we'll just heavily edit this person to look like they're going to win so we can have a surprise. Do you like the way the show is edited now? Yeah, it's so it's interesting. Like, it's a really great observation, Steve. And and and. You know, I heard someone describe it as the, the show is edited to sort of capture the feeling of what it's like to be out there, you know, like where, you know, in the early days of, of the season, 
Gabler's kind of this like kooky weirdo and he's doing all these annoying things around camp. And then, you know, at the midpoint, suddenly he's like omnipresent. And then he does. And then like he's sort of off to the sidelines or Erica, you know, she's was a kind of a big threat at the start of her season on her original tribe and then sort of disappears for a while. And nobody's like really focused on Erica. And then right at the end, she suddenly becomes this like bigger player again. And, you know, on the I had gotten a little bit tired of the edit in in previous seasons where you really could the winners edit had become so heavy handed and obvious. You know, you knew Tommy was winning. You knew Wendell was winning. You know, you could guess the you could guess from episode one who was winning, you know, based on the type of confessional they were getting. You know, the winner would always get a personal confessional that tied in their job at home to their overall strategy for the season. They were typically the only person who got that confessional in the first episode. And it was so, you know, by the numbers that it, it was not even that fun to watch to some degree where you kind of were just, okay, like, let's see how, how Tommy pulls it off, you know, and that there's no question anymore. Um, on the other hand, this does seem to be sort of an overcorrection where you really have no idea where these people came from. I mean, Erica said it was the most egregious where you know, she had this enduring alliance with Heather, who came in fourth on her season, that we never even saw, you know, for the first half of the season. We never saw these two people get together. It was the longest and most, you know, strongest alliance of the whole season. We never saw it develop. We never saw, you know, anything about it. And then just sort of at the end, it was like, oh, by the way, I've been with Heather since day one. Like, you, you have? Like, how, how, how could I possibly know that? Um, you know, again, I do think there's probably enough Gabler looking back to – say, okay, I can see that this was the game he was playing. I see he was there. I see that, like, the things he said in Tribal Council are, you know, are are true. Um, but, yeah, it's tough because you want to be surprised, but you don't want to be surprised to the point of saying, wow, I really just had no no idea that this guy was coming. And I, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, one thing I think is a big problem with the show that's somewhat related to, to this is just how much time is spent at tribal council. You know, it's just too much. Um, you know, about a quarter of the episode now, about 10 minutes out of a 44 minute show is spent at tribal council for a lot of episodes. That's not true every episode. And most of these tribal councils, especially this season, are really boring. You know, it's just people kind of giving these sort of elaborate analogies. Okay, like being on Survivor is like being on a bus. You know, being on Survivor is like having a sip of coffee after you wake up in the morning, you know? And it doesn't really resonate for me anyway. Like, I find that kind of boring. It's not at all about the people or their relationships on the island. It's just sort of abstract about Survivor. And I think, you know, I, first of all, I think Tribal Council is at its best when it's really specific to who are the people? What are the relationships? Who's being annoying at camp? Who's the big strategist? Who's running around on the beach? Like that's where they should be talking about. You know, that's what what they should be talking about at tribal council. But also, it just means there's not a lot of time spent because there's so much time at tribal council. And then you also have a lot of time at the challenges. There's not a lot of time spent on the beach. You know, we're not seeing as much pure strategy as we used to, or pure, you know, confessionals or gameplay. So it's harder to get a sense of who people are because there's just less time. Now, are you in agreement with me in regards to, I want to talk about Jesse real quick. Number one, are you in agreement that that was top, one of the best moves in the history of the game? And number two, do you think if he's in the final three, he beats any of the final four? Probably eight nothing? Yeah. I mean, both, both, yes. I mean, it was such an amazing move because so much, it did so much so brilliantly. You know, it blindsided Cody with Cody's own idol. 
Yeah. And Jesse didn't play it for himself, right? Like I would have played it for myself. Like, look at me saving myself. Jesse played it on Owen, thus securing a relationship with Owen. And what that does, which is so brilliant, is forces Carla to play her idol. So he gets the votes on Jesse, blindsides Jesse with his idol, flushes out the only other idol in the game, and pretend, you know, and, and, and does something, you know, big and magnanimous to Owen. All right in front of the jury, which is, of course, the most important place to do anything, right? Because the jury really, like, for the jury, they over they over index on what they actually see, you know, themselves. Like, winning an immunity challenge doesn't have that much impact on the jury because the jury didn't see you win it. It could have been the most spectacular, epic, come-from-behind victory in the history of the show. And it's all just, okay, like, that's the person wearing the necklace today. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, I truly think it was one of the greatest moves of all time. And, you know, really the last point he could have voted out Cody because at the next, at the next tribal council, Cody would have had an idol. So he would have been safe. And then I think we, I mean, we don't really know, but I think, you know, Cody was probably pretty solid at fire. So Jesse, and it sounded like, it sounded like from the interviews that I've read that Cody was the guy to beat. Dalton Ross, who writes for Entertainment Weekly, had a big roundup of the jurors. And it sounded like at that point, if Cody had gone to the finals, um, he would have won. So Jesse is also, you know, in addition to all the stuff we were saying before, he's also taken out the biggest threat in the game. So yes, I think if he gets to the end, I think pretty, he probably does get a unanimous, a unanimous sweep. Yeah, I think, you know, the blind side would have been a hell of a blind side, but the fact that he didn't blindside it by pulling out an idol and saying, oh, look, I'm saving myself. The fact that he gave right. it to somebody else, I think that was, it was genius. It really was. And I think that this is something that, you know, with, with Cody, if there is an all-star season in the next few seasons, I think from this cast, uh, Owen and Jesse, and, and not Owen and Jesse, maybe even Owen, but Jesse and Cody are absolutely going to be on a future season, I would think. Um, yeah. I, maybe Owen. Um, but in, in, in talking about Owen, and this just goes back to, the, to the, the challenge, and I can't remember if you had it in either of your seasons. Maybe you did. The last gasp challenge. Um, oh God, no! That's a scary. I, I like. I was terrified of potentially having that challenge. That is a scary challenge. I don't understand, like, the fact that they did it and they outlasted the tide, and did it for three. I don't. Obviously, they did it. I'm not questioning that they didn't do it. I just don't understand how in the world that was done. It seems like what if the tide went over you for a minute? I, I there's. <laughs> How do you, how does the, and I get that they have people right there in case somebody, you know, starts panicking or having an anxiety attack, whatever the case may be, that, that thing absolutely petrifies me. Watching it on TV gives me, I know, gives me the shakes. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. I could never, ever do that. I'd be so paranoid. And, And isn't, I noticed that Carlo was one that held her nose the whole time. Owen didn't. And I'm just like. How is water not getting all up your nose and forcing you <laughs> and forcing you to just be like? Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't oh get how that I, I would challenge be happens. Out of that immediately. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Sorry. No, I was gonna say I I said it. I was like I have I want no part of that challenge. I'll just sit it out, or I'll just you know give up after a minute. I I, I all the credit in the world to Carla and Owen for lasting three hours and outlasting the tide. I just don't know how that was possible unless we were not shown everything and the tide never really was all that bad that day. But I, look, I don't want to take anything away from them. It's incredible. I want to believe that they had some serious tide roll in and they had to really dig deep, as Jeff would say. But I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I can't believe that that happened. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. 
I mean, what a what a crazy, what a crazy. I mean, what a what a truly. I mean, I agree with you. Like, I would absolutely panic at that. I don't think I would last, you know, five minutes in that challenge. Alone, yeah. You know, however long, however long they lasted, it was truly. That was one of the ones where, when I was thinking about going on the show, I thought, "Please do not make me do that. I would not do well at that." You know, I think like you all. I'm sure. I'm sure you. You're like, "What would I do? Would I like put a funnel over my mouth? Would I, you know, put, would would I pinch my nose?" Like you said, I, it's. I have no idea what I would do with that. I guess I would try the, the mouth funnel. What, what do you think about the fact that they were just sort of let to? Because this was also controversial in the season that they that Jeff allowed two winners you outlasted the tide you beat the challenge that's never happened before where they can say you know typically endurance challenges go as long as they go right i mean you know season 10 palau you know tom westman and ian go whatever it was like 13 hours or 15 hours um here jeff you know an hour later is like okay challenge is over let's 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 move along what did you think about that like two immunities instead of one immunity i didn't have an issue with it because i thought they're what they did was miraculous in my eyes because I didn't under yeah. I didn't understand how it went and I understand for the sake of time what are they going to do if there's no tide they just would have been sitting there in the water I mean I guess maybe they could just say hey all right well we need to determine a winner both of you just dip your head underwater and whoever stays the longest wins I mean I guess yeah, they could have done but that like, why not that yeah I mean I, I honestly I did not like the idea like especially what was it at the final um it was pretty late in the season eight maybe I didn't like the idea. Maybe, yeah, maybe exactly. To, to give yeah. two immunities at that point is a pretty big, um, a pretty big decision, and really does mess up the flow of the game. Now, I, whatever, like the flow of the game changes all the time. But I, I kind of thought that they should have had some sort of tiebreaker, you know, whether it's dip your head or 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 whatever, or they just let it go until someone drops <laughs> until the yeah. tide comes in again, you know. <laughs> um, and and yeah, the the other interesting thing that. Um, that I've seen pointed out is that, you know, most of the time in this challenge, the water just sort of, the tide sort of slowly rises up until it's, you know, on its way to completely overwhelming the contestants. This was different where the tide was much choppier, you know, there would be like a swell out of nowhere and then it would go away and then there'd be another crazy swell. And I don't know which is scarier or which is worse or which is harder, but they <laughs> they all seem terrible to me. Well, see, that's the thing that I didn't understand and I'm just like kind of mouth wide open about this thing is that these people under the cages are horizontal to the water. So yeah. you can't see when the tide is coming. That's why I don't understand how all the time the tides came, how it didn't waterlog anybody. Because if, yeah. you're, if you're just in the water and you're perpendicular to the water, you can see, okay, it's rising and I need to like go under and then come back up. When you're horizontal to the water, you can't see it coming. You have no idea when that thing is all of a sudden sharply going to rise, which would then be, to me, meaning you have to understand, okay, it's coming. I need to hold my breath. But if you're, yeah. if you're horizontal, you can't see it coming. It had to have surprised them. And the second you get waterlogged, you'd be done because yeah. you'd be like, <laughs> I don't understand the challenge. I don't get it. It's I would never do it in a million years, but all the credit to them that they can. I just I don't understand in that position. You can't see it coming. And I got to believe during the three hours that Carla and Owen did it, they had to have gotten waterlogged a couple times like, oh, shit, it just came and I wasn't ready for it. And yeah. Totally. And I mean, maybe that's, you know, what determines who wins and who doesn't. It's the person who either gets lucky or has a strategy for that or 
but yeah, I, this is definitely among the top two challenges. I, I when, when I was thinking about going on Survivor, that I, I thought, what? please do not give me that one. When, when did they start this one? When did they start putting the last guest? Is it in every season in recent, or do they... No, I think they've only done it. It's so funny because it is like this epic, you know, classic challenge. It's only been done a handful of times. I mean, it was done in Micronesia, um, last gas. I mean, you know, you Google it, but um, it's only been done like three or four times, uh, oh, okay. which is so interesting because you know it looms so large because it is like you know in our in our collective consciousness of Survivor because it does seem like it's something out of a nightmare where you have to you're in a cage and the water is slowly rising. You know, it's out of a horror movie. Yeah, I, I mean, just the claustrophobia of it all, uh, and I'm not—I wouldn't call myself a claustrophobic person, but in that in that situation, I absolutely would yeah. be. And, you know, just oh, I don't get so, it. So um, here we go, Steve. It was it was done the first time in Palau, which is the season Tom Westman won, and Tom Westman won that challenge. Um, Jason Siska won it in Micronesia, which is fans, fans versus favorites, and then Brenda Lowe run won it in Karamoan, which was fans versus favorites too. And now we've got um, and this is, so this is the fourth time it's ever been done. That's kind of weird because I, I thought it was more, and I think listening to Carla and or Owen, one of them said like they were waiting for the last gas challenge, like it was something that they knew was coming. I was like, well, now hearing it's only been done three times before, like what made them think it was even a possibility yeah. of coming? So, well, it's so well, what's cool about I mean, a lot of the players now have been longstanding fans, and Owen. It's so interesting, you know. He he has a social media post from like five years ago that he surfaced recently, where he he basically like you know was like, oh, I hope if I ever get to go on Survivor, I get to do this challenge. Oh, <laughs> Not really? only does he get to do it, but he won it. Yeah, I mean, what a cool story, right? To like be a, a like a really active fan. You know, Owen was a very active fan in the fan community, and um, then become you know a, a contestant on the show and do so well. Wow, I, I yeah, I knew he was a big fan. That's why I think that if there is an All Star season, I could see someone like him getting on just very likable can be good in challenges obviously when three individual immunities um yeah I, I i really can see him in a future season um here's something that's become an issue owen definitely hated it and i know this is going to be a sticking point with you know traditionalists of the show and i get that covid restrictions have have cost us reunion shows because of certain things i don't really know the answer because CBS has brought back the crowd for the live eviction shows for Big Brother, so why not for Survivor? But this whole notion of an after show versus yeah. a reunion show is kind of been a big sticking point. Owen basically said, fuck that after show. He goes, I literally yeah. just lost a million and now you're filming me. I haven't had time to process anything. I haven't even been able to watch the season back and see things that maybe I didn't know about, see things that people said about me in a confessional, see things that people said about other people in a confessional strategy. I didn't know what was going on. I don't like the after show. I think it sucks. I think it takes away from the show. I think part of the, 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 the allure of the reunion show is seeing these people months after the fact, not looking dirty and haggard and smelly and, you know, underweight and all that stuff. I think it's cool to see them like, oh, this is what they look like as a normal human being. We haven't seen that for the last, you know, three months we've been watching. Uh, what is your whole take on after show versus reunion show? And do we know if this is going to be now the thing? They're going to go back to the original format of, no, we're filming the finale out there and we're going to eat pizza and drink champagne and talk about the show three seconds after the vote is done. Steve, I, I, can I can I put you on hold for one second? I'll come back and answer that question right away. I just need to um, put my put my child down. I'll put my child down to sleep. All right. 
Well, I think what Jeff likes about the after show is the very fact that Owen, you know, does not have time to process it, that it's an unprocessed reaction where, you know, I do think with the finale, it was a lot of, you know, it was really fun seeing people get all dressed up and okay, like cut away from the island where they're super starved and now they, you know, look healthy. Um, and that was always a fun, a fun cut. But, you know, I think Jeff's point was that it was becoming very rehearsed. People were, okay, like, you know, what, what, what your people were saying, like somewhat, you know, very kind of hand answers in response to what they had seen or what, you know, Reddit was saying. And they were giving these sort of responses that were either trying to vindicate what they did or justify what they did, or they were just really generic. You know, you know, you happy now, whoever? Oh yeah. Like life is great. I've got my fans and, you know, I've started my cupcake business. Um, you know, and it was not a particularly compelling insight into the game itself or what people were really thinking out there because it was so much later and because so many people had time to process. I mean, the, the, the pizza thing and the champagne thing are a little bit silly. And I think fortunately this time around, you know, there's a lot less emphasis on the pizza and they're sort of managing to sort out the logistics of it. I I don't mind it. Honestly, like I like the reunion. You're not a fan. I think a lot of people are not fans. You know, I think it does seem cruel to the contestants to sort of have to process you know what happened but isn't it but how is that different than okay you lost the challenge you lost the final immunity challenge you're about to be voted out you're breaking down in tears like how is that different you know filming that from okay you lost survivor you know you're breaking down in tears like where's the what's the distinction i think owen said <clears throat> i just don't want it right after the vote why not have it the next day that makes a little right. more sense to me i i could see that i just think it's because now granted i think there is something to be said for you know, not having watched the season back, he can't offer much insight when he has no idea how the edit went. He has no idea how to talk about, oh, this person said this and all this stuff, and he hasn't watched the season back, and Cassidy hasn't watched the season back, and even Gabler. It's just two different. It's two different shows. I mean, it just it just is because yeah. they haven't watched the season, they haven't seen anything, and there's going to be things that were shown during the season that they weren't aware of, and maybe somebody. And, and a total blindside that they had no idea what was going on. So many different things. It's just, a di- I guess it's just a different thing. Now, my, I guess my question is, do you think that this is COVID related or this is the way they want to go from now on? I think this is probably the way they want to go. I think in general, they're looking for a slightly rawer show, you know, one that is a little bit more, you know, visceral, one that is a little bit more, you know, emotionally intense. My guess is that this is here to stay at least for a while. You know, and, and probably not for nothing. You know, what does this cost them to produce? You know, this costs them, um, you know, pizza and champagne. Whereas the after show is a big production. You know, there's a big studio audience. There's a lot of there's a whole thing to, to film and they have to pay the contestants an additional money. So, you know, Survivor contestants, they get their prize winnings, which can range from obviously a lot to not so much. And then anyone in the finale gets an additional $10,000 appearance fee because of just I, I mean i don't know why because of like how, how, what what the contest is versus the finale so you know suddenly there you know cbs gets to save uh two hundred thousand dollars you know just in contestant fees let alone the actual production of the event um you know it's probably i'm sure that this is that's part of it yeah and you got to fly all the contestants back out even you right. know I mean, that whole thing and then pay them on top of it i get it but it seems like the show makes a lot of money i mean you've been on the show you know been on the air for 20 years and 43 seasons it, if two hundred thousand dollars is something you're really worried about, then I guess 
you got to do what you got to do. But well, I'm sure I'm sure that's not like the number one driver. Yeah. Probably just a nice bonus that uh, you know, probably not the two hundred thousand dollars too. I mean, I'm sure like producing that show is an you know is a is a real expense because it's an extremely well produced hour of television. Yeah, and you know, it's not just the hour after show too. It's also that right because the, the audience is there for that whole three hours and. Yeah, I mean, there's like you know, hair and makeup for all the contestants. And it was it was a big it was a big deal. <laughs> it was a big production, and that's why that that makes the show bigger to me. And doing it out right. there makes it kind that's of interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, it makes it bigger. I mean, I think that's that's a really good point. You know, where Survivor always did sort of exist as this sort of prestige marquee show, and some of that is kind of the bells and whistles of like this is what this show is. This is like the biggest reality show on television. This is. You know, and it's got this crazy reunion and it's got these like wild opening sequences and sort of like pairing some of that away, you know, does make it smaller. And like, like, so too, like not going to new locations makes it feel a little bit smaller. Like that, that would yeah. be like, I mean, I know that's their like biggest expense is, you know, the locations, moving locations. And obviously they're saving an enormous amount, I imagine. I, I miss that. To me, I like, I would rather, if they were going to change one thing about the new era, I would rather they were going to new, new places rather than just, um, you know. So we're yeah. looking. We're looking at it was the it was season one, and then every season since COVID, right, has been well outside of the you know the the, the Zoom finale for for Tony, <laughs> which was just awful. It felt felt yeah. so bad for the guy in the in the greatest season or the biggest season because of a two million dollar payout. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we get a winner announced on Zoom, and Jeff is in his garage. Like it just ugh. So I know sucks for him, yeah. but there's nothing we could do. But whatever, he also got two million dollars. Yeah. So. So I we, don't feel too bad. We've got so it was season one, and then every season since COVID is where it's been um, either announced out there or announced in Jeff's garage, right? Those are the only ones. Yeah, that's everything, right. That's everything exactly in between. Right. Yeah, everything in between was hey, well, we're going to do it in front of a studio audience. So uh, the other thing about timing that I wanted to talk about that you brought up earlier was we know it's twenty six days now as opposed to thirty nine, but I didn't really do the math and I didn't really think about it until you brought it up. On a normal season, like the seasons that you were on, and Token Chains and, and Survivor Second Chance, basically what? The immunity challenge or, or the um, reward challenge took place, uh, like let, let's say the reward challenge happened on Monday, would the immunity challenge happen on a Wednesday and then Thursday is, ro- uh, I was going to say row ceremony, uh, tribal council? Is that how it would work well, on a 39-day season? The classic cycle um, we, we, you know, it changes based on how many players there are, right? So with 16 players versus 20 players, 20 players is a little bit more. So I was on a 16-player season with token chains and a 20-player season uh, with Cambodia. And 20 players obviously moves a little bit faster because you got four more tribal councils that have to happen. But um, the classic model with 16 players over 39 days is day one, let's say Monday, is a reward challenge. Day two is nothing. You got nothing going on. Yeah. And you got nothing but time. And that's a lot of time. You know, one day does not sound like a lot of time, but when you have literally nothing and you are, you know, sleep deprived and food deprived, um, it is very boring. And truly, well, that was always one of the hardest parts of Survivor was the boredom. You know, like the hardest parts, I would say, like, you know, were number one, obviously not having food. And then number two was the boredom. Um, And, you know, (laughs) the rest of it comes after. Uh, And then day three would be the immunity challenge followed by tribal council. So the immunity challenge and tribal council were always on the same day. So you'd wake up early, you'd go to the immunity challenge, you'd scramble and you'd have tribal council. And um, sometimes, you know, in Cambodia, that would change a little bit where, you know, we, you know, if, if there was a, you know, sometimes it would be a two day cycle rather than a three day cycle. 
gosh, I think once there was a four day cycle, but I could be wrong about that when they were really trying to drive us crazy. Maybe I'm misremembering. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, but now, right. I think it's like at most a two day cycle. I think there were some, some cycles that were, you know, a day or a day and a half where so much game is happening. And, you know, a lot of viewers watching the season are thinking, why is it Dwight? You know, why, where did that come from? And that's probably how the players fell too. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you're, you have like an hour to, you know, process everything. The vote's probably switching up totally randomly and you're, uh, okay, it's Dwight now. Okay, great, great, whatever. I have no idea what's happening. It's not me. Like, I'm sure I'm voting Dwight. And, you know, that's a kind of unsatisfying um, way to watch a show where the vote is totally random because the players do not have enough time to actually process the information and create a coherent strategy. Yeah, it really seems like that is a it is very quick. We know 26 days is, you know, like you said, cutting a third of the season out. And, you know, all credit to anybody who wins Survivor. But as I've always said, I just can't put these 26 day winners on the same Mount Rushmore that I could put the 39-day winners. I just think it's a different it's a different game now. Um, I will not take their win away from them, but they did get 13 less days out there, which is huge. Uh, that, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a different game. Oh, sorry, Steve, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's just that is a huge, huge difference, especially when you talk about boredom, especially when you talk about not having food. That's 13 more days, basically, of you eating you know, rice and drinking water. You know, yes. And I mean, you know, in some ways, it's a harder game like this is the survivor now is not a game I would want to play because there's so much randomness. You don't have time. You know, there's not really a lot of coherent strategy. You know, I, I do think that the social strategic game that I fell in love with that I loved to play does not exist in the same way. It's just like a more chaotic game. It's a faster game. Um, it would not. I don't think it's as strategic a game necessarily i mean you see a move like jesse's move and you're like wow i mean that, that certainly ranks among you know the top strategic moves uh in the show's history but in terms of the overall gameplay i mean or, or, or the strategy is very different anyway you know where you know it is it is this whack-a-mole of threats of like whoever's like the biggest threat gets you know gets immediately voted out so like how do i mitigate that how do i keep threats around who will be bigger targets than me but also my allies but also not too big you know threats so i can beat them in the end i mean it, it's a definitely a different game i mean i guess like i said i think in many ways it's a harder game you know it's it's a uh, it's because it is harder to have a coherent strategy that makes it more reactive in some ways i mean i, I don't think i would do particularly well at, at this version of survivor um and uh, I don't know if I would want to play it either, where it's just like so chaotic and you're just running around every day, like, you know, trying to figure out the new thing. And when you say harder game, you're talking about the game game, physical game. It's not harder because you get th no, no, 13 no. less yeah. days. Yeah. Oh, it's so silly. I mean, you know, they, you know, even with the um, challenge last gas, you know, Jeff said at the start of it, you know, now we're going to punish you like the way we really punished you in old school. And I thought the whole, you know, to totally undermining the talking point of this is you know this is the new hard survivor like it's definitely not the new hard survivor you know nobody's losing as much weight as we lost back you know with with a, a longer a longer season you know it's there's just no way that i mean and I, i'm sure it's hard like you know one day of starvation and cold and and sleep deprivation is hard um 26 days is also really 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 hard um you know but uh I think that I was more – I think when the, the the change happened, I was more open to it. You know, I sort of thought, okay, like you don't need 
to absolutely physically deplete people in order to have a good television show. You don't need to, you know, drive people to the brink of starvation to have, to, to make a, a strategy show. But I do think a lot is lost with the shorter season in terms of what kind of, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning, like what kind of bonds can develop, um, you know, what kind of strategy can play out and the thinking that can be applied to any individual move. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's the new game. We got to get used to it. This is the way it's going to be. We can, uh, you know, complain or gripe all we want, but this is what we have to get used to. It's still a very enjoyable show. It's still very, it's still very fun to, watch people maneuver and vote out people that ultimately decide your fate. And it's why I like the show so much. And, um, you know, Steven, thanks again uh, for coming on. I love having you on to get your perspective at the end of every season. I'm sure we'll have you on again in May to talk about season 44, which starts, uh, <laughs> what starts, starts March 1st, right? Yeah. That's the date. So yeah, we'll have you on then and, uh, good luck with everything. Uh, you know, happy holidays to you and, and everybody and, um, you and your family. I know you're having some, uh, some fun with your two-year-old and uh, <laughs> that uh, enjoy that, enjoy the terrible twos. And uh, obviously we'll be in touch. Well, thanks so much, Steve. And, and um, thank you once again for having me on. Like I said, it's like one of my favorite like aspects of my life is getting to be your, uh, your survivor <laughs> guy. And um, Hey, my original season token chains is coming to Netflix in January. So uh, for all those who want to watch that, that will be uh, an option. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm, 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 yeah. I did not know that. Oh, that's great. I'm gonna, I might have to rewatch that one because I have not seen it yeah. since it aired. So uh, anyway, thanks a lot, Stephen. Uh, appreciate it. Good luck, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Steve. It was a pleasure. You got it. Thank you so much to Stephen for coming on. Really appreciate him. Uh, he's just a great guest to have on at the end of every season to just kind of go over everything. There are a lot of good points he brought up. Totally lost on me about 39 days versus 26. Obviously, I knew it's 26 days now, but how quickly that speeds everything up. And that's just a great point about how personal relationships, when you take two weeks that you're supposed to be out there off of that, like everyone who spent 39 days playing the game for the first, whatever, 40 seasons or so, you take two weeks off of that, less time to develop friendships, less time to develop deeper bonds with somebody. Maybe it's a little bit easier to blindside somebody like Jesse did to Cody because there just wasn't as an investment in there. So great points all in all. A good season, not a great one, but not a not a terrible one. It had one of the best gameplays we ever saw with that Jesse Blindside of Cody. So it, it's got to be up there in the top half, I think, of seasons that this show has ever had. So thanks again to Steven for coming on. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Always appreciated. Happy holidays to all of you who are out there. And whatever you celebrate, I hope you're spending it with family and friends and having a great time. And hopefully I get over this sickness. And it's not too bad for the holidays. And uh, I can brave the cold at 11 a.m. Central Time on Sunday to see the unveiling of the Dirk Nowitzki statue in front of the AAC before they take on the Lakers that day. Um, if I'm not totally recovered, I don't know if I want to stand out there for an hour or two, so we'll see. But uh, to you and yours, have a happy holidays. I really appreciate you being fans of this podcast. This is the second-to-last Thursday podcast of the 2022 calendar year. How crazy is that? We have been on this thing for now six years. 
first week of December 2016 was the first podcast I did. And gosh, I'm, I'm almost at six months on the daily roundup. Like, that's crazy to me. I started that July 11th. So second week in January, that'll be six months. I've done a podcast every day, Monday through Friday, since July 11th. Crazy. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Happy holidays to you and yours. The Reality Steve Daily Roundup is in your podcast feed if you want to go check that out. But uh, for Stephen Fishback, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you for tuning in, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.